Welcome to Untold Physio Stories Podcast, your perfect commute resource with physio failures, successes, interesting cases, and more from the physio and rehab world with your host, Drs. Andrew Rothschild and Urson Religioso. Hi everyone, my name is Dr. Katie Obright and I'm an orthopedic physical therapist and the owner of Redefine Health Education. Sincere gratitude to Dr. E for allowing me to come on this podcast and tell a little bit of my story. Uh, Today I'm going to share with you a concept of why specialists, clinical specialists, need to first be really solid generalists. Um, And this is a concept that I think a lot of people struggle with because we think that clinical specialists should know everything from the foundation and beyond but what we notice and what we've found in, in healthcare in general is that specialists sometimes get pigeonholed just into their clinical specialty and sometimes forget some of those really important generalist foundational uh, practice methodologies that can really help them um, better serve their patients. So I'm going to share my story now. Throughout my PT career, I've been exposed to a variety of different care settings and have been a firsthand witness to the negative consequences of healthcare silos. And for those who don't know what a healthcare silo is, it's simply a term used to describe the concept of each specialty doing what they do and only what they do. We have this in PT for sure. This concept shouldn't be unfamiliar to any of us as clinicians because most of us do function in these isolated specialties, whether you want to admit it or not. So outpatient ortho does outpatient ortho, neuro does neuro, pelvic health does pelvic health, and so on. Um, Pursuing clinical specialization in one area is definitely not a bad thing. In fact, focusing your education in one practice area is a really great way to ensure you're providing the best possible care to a patient in that specialty area. But there are some serious problems that exist in our healthcare system because of, dare I say, too too much specialization. Um, and perhaps a lack of interest or willingness to meet the needs of the whole person. And all of our patients are whole people, so this is a really important concept. Many specialists want to just do what they do and then refer back to primary care or refer to other specialists for anything outside of what they do. But here's the problem with that. There aren't enough primary care providers to meet the complex needs that our very unhealthy population currently has. I just recorded an episode on the Thought Light podcast, thanks to Dr. Seth Peterson, where I talked about the problems we're facing in primary care with significant administrative burden and physician shortages due to burnout. If you haven't listened to it yet, I would definitely recommend it. I kind of tell the story of primary care and what we're facing and how team-based primary care, which is what I'm really passionate about, can help solve that problem. But the bottom line is, if every specialist makes a referral for every question outside of their specialty area, and every primary care provider is burdened with their existing workload, then patients just end up getting tossed around. They feel like no one's truly listening, they start to lose hope, they stop coming, and then they have no guidance, so their problem gets worse, it turns into other problems, and the downward health spiral begins. We want to prevent that. So today, I hope that I can inspire you, the specialist, to get more comfortable with general practice by sharing a case. Um, When I got out of the Army in 2018, my first job was at the University of Oklahoma's Cancer Center. Um, As an orthopedic specialist and somebody who dealt primarily with 
fairly healthy military active duty soldiers. Um, I knew this was going to be getting out of my comfort zone, um, but I saw that as a positive thing. Um, I never forgot. I will. I won't ever forget this one patient that I had. Um, he was a gentleman in his fifties with stage four rectal cancer, who was have, having trouble walking due to hip pain. And I just thought to myself before I saw the patient, I thought to myself, what am I going to do with this patient? I can't. I can't possibly help this tumor that's causing the pain. And the first problem here is I made the assumption that the pain must be coming from the tumor before I even evaluated him. Uh, this is probably what everybody else assumed too, everybody else that had seen him prior to me. But after meeting with him, I started to pick up on some key factors that seemed to be presenting like true hip joint pain. Um, and then after I examined him, I thought to myself, this seems like textbook hip away, um, which I was surprised by. I wasn't expecting to, to find that, um, but then thought that it can't po this can't possibly have been missed because he's already seen dozens of doctors that have been tracking him in his cancer care. They see so many healthcare professionals throughout their journey. So this can't, it can't be possible that it would be missed. So I pulled up an image in the chart just to see if I could see anything. Uh, the image was a plain film capture of the lumbar spine and pelvis, but I will tell you that this, this study was not ordered for, for pain. Um, the plain film capture was just a, um, a precedent to a PET scan that was routine monitoring of his rectal tumor. So it's not like somebody placed the orders in here for his hip pain to evaluate the hip joint and the lumbar spine. Um, and I'll tell you why a little bit later why that actually matters, why the, the reason why you order a study matters. Um, but I, I looked at the image and the very first thing that I saw was collapsed femoral heads on, on both sides. So he had bilateral femoral head collapse, which is usually a sequela of, of AVN, avascular necrosis, and it was clear as day on the image. Um, I, this is why it's really important that you look at imaging. Um, even if you're not super familiar with it, we uh, actually at Redefine Health Education, we happen to have a musculoskeletal imaging certification, which is where you can learn a little bit more about this, but um, that's sort of beside the point right now. Um, so I read the report and all of the findings were just focused on the tumor um, and the cancer progression. And I read through his chart. There's no obvious mention of hip OA or, um, or AVN anywhere in his chart. So I always give the benefit of the doubt. So it's, it's very possible that it was seen by the radiologist and even mentioned, and I just wasn't seeing it in the chart. It happens all the time. We can't possibly document every single nuance of a patient encounter, especially in these complex cases. But this seemed pretty important. He was basically um, couldn't straighten up because of his pain. He was using a rollator walker, and I remember trying to get him into a supine position. He could not straighten his legs. He, he was in this contracted um, contracted position from, from pain, from being like that for so long. Um, so I consulted with the orthopedic oncologist, and he agreed with me. They decided to meet um, so the patient met with the orthopedic oncologist. They decided to meet and discuss the feasibility of a total joint replacement or other management options for this hip issue. I also um, communicated my findings with his medical oncology team, and they were very grateful that I identified this um, because they knew that he was been, had been in a lot of pain for a long period of time, and they just thought it was his rectal tumor. Um, so they were really grateful for that communication. So now why do I bring up this case? 
Uh, the patient had been dealing with this problem for more than a year, but the primary focus of the oncology providers was the cancer for good reason, right? They were trying to keep this patient alive and make sure that he had the best, the best possible care from a cancer-related standpoint. But patients with cancer don't just have tumors and abnormal cell proliferation. They are humans. They have all of the same musculoskeletal systems, and they're susceptible to the same problems um, that, as the rest of the general population, and perhaps even more so. The cancer treatments often have um, a side effect of, of accelerated aging of all of the body systems. Um, and you know, various chemotherapies and radiation can cause a lot of problems in the musculoskeletal tissues and system. And that's something that all orthopedic professionals need to be aware of because not only is cancer on the rise, but people are living a lot longer with cancer. So you're gonna see a patient with cancer or who is a cancer survivor in your career. So try to educate yourself a little bit about what the ramifications of some of these treatments could be. It's important, it's really important. So like I said before, um, I always give the benefit of the doubt and the oncologists that I worked with were incredible, but it would serve all of us and especially our patients to take a step back and look at the complete picture. Sometimes specialists overcomplicate and sometimes they oversimplify because they perhaps just don't know any better or they're not thinking big picture. I propose that I propose that what makes a very solid specialist is one that is first a very solid generalist. In working at the cancer center, I was able to better appreciate this as cancer affects every body system. When I evaluated a patient, I used my generalist physical therapy knowledge garnered in PT school to assess the needs and functional impairments of all systems first before honing in on more specific complaints. This gave me an appreciation for how the whole system was functioning together as a unit. As a military PT, I'll be the first one to admit that I did not routinely tap into multi-systems needs assessment, and maybe I should have. Sure, soldiers are generally in much better health. Um, you know, they're young, healthy, they have to pass a um, you know, health assessment in order to get into the military. Um, and perhaps they're less complex than that of those affected by cancer, but I definitely had my fair share of soldiers affected by complex autoimmune, rheumatologic, GI, cardiopulmonary, and other conditions. At the time, I just don't think I even considered it within my scope to assist in those areas at that time. The answer was always just if you identify something, you refer. Uh, which is also true in some cases. We don't want to eliminate referral altogether, but we want to have good, clear management strategies and skills in order to facilitate an appropriate referral, not just say refer. Refer because it doesn't belong to you. What are your findings? What do you suspect? And where should that patient go? Who and how and where and why would their particular condition and their issues that they are presenting with, what, what location and what provider would serve them best? And what is your clinical reasoning for that referral? People need to know that so they're not starting from scratch. So my bottom line is this, don't get so focused on one specialty area that you simply lose the skill set and ability to provide care in all practice areas where your healthcare license allows you to. As a physical therapist, we are trained to see all ages and stages womb to tomb. It may not be your preference or your bread and butter, but consider expanding your skill set in an area where you're not comfortable, like peds, neuro, or cardiovascular and pulmonary. I've done a lot of professional development in this area for myself, and I can assure you that I am a much better orthopedic specialist because of it. If you're interested in brushing up your broad diagnostic skill set, 
consider our courses at Redefine Health Education. I started this company with this exact concept in mind. I teach a primary care PT course, which provides a multi-systems overview of how to evaluate and manage a patient from a primary care perspective. Really all things, all systems considered and how we can provide our input, not only in just their isolated, perhaps knee pain complaint conditions, but then take all of maybe their other comorbidities or their lifestyle behaviors and incorporate all of that into your treatment routine so that that patient's health and wellness is better optimized. I, focusing on isolated complaints is, is no longer helpful. And simply referring back to primary care, they're overloaded anyway. So we need to do our best for our patient and our best that we can do is to do as much as we can for every patient that we see. Uh, my partner also teaches a musculoskeletal imaging certification, which has already helped hundreds of students better identify when is it most appropriate to utilize imaging. Um, we're not overutilizing, we're not underutilizing, we are utilizing appropriately and understanding what types of studies are most appropriate for what types of cases, and then how to communicate those findings, not only with the patient in front of you, but with other healthcare professionals to manage the case. We also have a really great new course on recognizing rheumatology, which is something that is really often overlooked in the orthopedic, in orthopedic practice. Um, and we have other special topics coming soon. You can find all of our course information at our website on www.redefinehealthed.com. Give us a follow on social media at Redefine Health Ed on all of the platforms except Twitter. And Twitter is at Redefine Con Ed, which is really annoying because it was one character too long. Um, I appreciate your time. Thank you for listening. And please reach out to me with any questions that you have uh, by email. My email address is info at redefinehealthed.com. Well, thanks so much for telling that story, Katie. That's um, it's really interesting. So um, I don't know if you mentioned it, but how did you how did you actually get into like going from the military to going to um, oncology in particular? Mm -hmm. Yeah, good good question. I knew that when I was exiting the military in 2018, um, I kind of knew what the job prospects were like in the outpatient ortho world. Um, and at that point, I wasn't really interested or even thought it was a possibility for me to like start my own thing. Um, and nor at that time, I don't really think I even wanted to, but I was, I was looking for stuff and um, I kind of wanted to be a part of a hospital system or a part of an academic institution because I knew I wanted to get involved with more teaching and I wanted to have more resources available to me. So really what it came down to was process of elimination and the only job that was really available that was that seemed um, to fit that criteria where I wasn't going to be stuck in like an outpatient ortho setting where I was going to be seeing like 25 patients an hour. Um, was was at the cancer center and it was part of the university of oklahoma's cancer system the stevenson cancer center and i just remember thinking to myself like this would be really outside of my comfort zone i don't even know if i have a shot but i'm gonna just apply and see what happens you know i'm open to the opportunity i had a an active duty soldier when i was um when i was on active duty who came into me with with hip pain and he um, you know, everybody just assumes that it's a stress fracture because ever, all of the hip pain we see, a lot of it is uh, stress fractures, but um, this soldier was was different and uh, we ended up identifying that his hip pain was actually um, 
stage four angiosarcoma. It was a bony metastasis that was kind of um, kind of eating away at his ileum. That was kind of the the first sign. And then, you know, we continued more work up and he ended up having basically mets all over his body and he he died within six weeks. And wow. I just remember that case really stuck with me. And I remember thinking to myself, like, that that case, not, not only is it sticking with me and like, I'll never forget him and I'll never forget his situation and everything, but like, I want to be able to help people like, like that are in those circumstances. Now his cancer was extremely rare um, and very, very rapidly progressing. Most cancers are not like that. Vast majority of cancers are not like that. So I just remember thinking like, maybe this is an opportunity for me to learn more, like how I can screen better, how I can help people with more complexities. So that's kind of how I, I ended up there. And it was like a total 180 from what I did in the military. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's good onus. That's terrible, tragic loss, but I mean, that's good onus tragic. for, I think you found your niche, you know, I, I've known you for a couple of years now and I know that uh, you went from like a concierge kind of cash based, right. To then to the online webinars and then um, I think, I mean, I'm excited to take your course. I feel like I need a refresher, you know? Um, I know that I, I'm just one of those refer out kind of PTs, like you basically just were talking about that, uh, the majority of PTs think they just need to refer out immediately. Uh, but then, you know, we could do so much more potentially, because that, but that's what we're taught in school, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, um, one of the things that a lot of PTs think, and, you know, we're always taught to practice, um, to, to be on the safe side with everything, right? So I think a lot of the times when we learn about quote, quote, red flags, um, a red flag, I a, identifying a red flag does not necessarily mean that it always has to go to the emergency department. That might, we wanna keep patients out of the emergency department as often as possible. And so one example that I'll bring up and that I discuss in, in my course is um, cervical myelopathy, for example. Cervical myelopathy, it exists on a spectrum, just like everything else does, right? If you think of rotator cuff, um, like supraspinatus tears, they exist on a spectrum. You can have some really tiny little bits of fraying, and then you could have a full thickness tear. Um, cervical myelopathy is the same way. You can actually have signs and symptoms of, of myelopathy with like a little bit of spinal cord compression only when you're at maximal cervical flexion, or you could have, you know, 50% of the spinal cord that is um, that is disrupted. So just, and just evidence of upper motor neuron sign, signs and symptoms, for example, a positive Hoffman sign in the absence of other findings doesn't necessarily mean that it's cervical myelopathy, number one. And number two, you can investigate, you can afford to take some time to investigate that further before, you know, assuming that it's that and referring to the ED. So one of the things that my course really does it, it, is it helps with the referral decision-making process. Because when you're talking about cervical myelopathy, you're talking about a huge spectrum. And, and same thing with other, um, with other quote unquote red flag findings as well. There, there's also some debate about cauda equina syndrome and how it should be managed and where it should go as the first route. So that referral decision-making with those quote unquote red flags um, is, is really the, the, the crux of what I, what I try to get at in my course. And actually 
I should promote um, Seth Peterson here. His paper that he just published with John Hike on referral decision making just came out, I think, this month. Uh, so March 2023. Oh, you're going to need to uh, to message me that so I can yeah, link I, to I, that. I can link to that too, and I can read it myself. And so now that I'm thinking about it. It was like an it was a an unpublished manuscript. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, so. he, he got accepted for publication, and I read the unpublished manuscript. So um, it's not even out in publication yet, but um, I'll send you the I'll send you the manuscript. It was very very well done. With and permission. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 <laughs> and it's it's on. Uh, I think it's PTJ. It's on PTJ's okay. website as an accepted. Oh, all right, all right. Manuscript. So, um, but that is the kind of stuff that as, as PTs, as rehab professionals, we need to do better with because we can't just identify stuff and refer everything to the ED. We're wasting a lot of people's time and money and then raising their anxiety levels to an extreme, which might interrupt or disrupt our therapeutic alliance with them. So there's a lot of, there's, there's just so many different factors that go along with the importance of being very, very careful and cautious and, and diligent about where and when and why you refer. Right. Awesome. Well, um, I love I love thought-provoking stories and I love things that actually make me think out of the box because very few things are out of my comfort zone in terms of like how specialized I am. Right. <laughs> so um thanks for coming on the podcast, Katie. And you guys want to take her course i'm super psyched to take it just based off of all the stuff that i see her posting on linkedin all the time um she it's there is a promo code that is that gets you 50 dollars off and mm -hmm. it's on sale until april 1st 2023 right yep and that um so that promo code is uh capital p capital c capital p capital t so all uppercase pcpt and then lowercase pre-sale um, and you can, that'll get you $50 off while we're in our pre-sale phase. So I, I really appreciate you bringing me on and I appreciate the opportunity to, to speak a little bit more about what I'm passionate about. All right. Thanks for coming on. And if you guys like this story, if you have any interesting physio failures or hilarious cases, make sure to reach out to Andrew or myself on social media. Make sure to re <laughs> rate Untold Physio Stories five stars wherever you listen to podcasts and hit that subscribe button. And as always, you guys have a great day.